0: I stand alone. singing. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me.
1: Let us bow for our opening prayer. Heavenly Father, you cover us with your robe of righteousness. You cover us with your holiness. You cover us with your presence. How wonderful it is to drift into your presence in prayer. How wonderful it is to feel your peace, your patience. Yet, in this distant world, when we don't get what we think we need, we too often take charge and double down. On our efforts. And we get ourselves into trouble. We run ahead of you. We forget that you desire to guide our way. When we go off on our own, Lord God, we pray that you would draw us back closer to you. Help us see things through your eyes. Help us to see that all we need has been provided, everything is under control. Your plan for our lives is the path you illuminate before us. We say a prayer for our divided country that healing will come not only to our leaders but to every citizen throughout this land. Because the reality is, Lord God, we need to rest our spirits in you when we feel, when we are tempted to feel envy or anger or greed or any other harmful emotion, remind us of your promise of peace. Cleanse our hearts, O Lord God. Help us to be at peace and give us clarity of purpose. Give us sure and certain assurance that even when we lose track of our lives, that your purpose will still be lived through us. This is a promise that your Son gave to us. And he also taught us how to pray, saying these words, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is such a blessing to be counted as a member in God's family. I'm doubly blessed because I get to preach, but we can all preach. We can all tell others through our words and our deeds that we are followers of Jesus. With Jesus, I found something that really works. Jesus was not a lot of hype. Jesus wasn't a proponent of religion either. He was the real deal. He was and is the answer for all the woes of humanity. A life devoted to Jesus and to service in his kingdom is a sure way to experience the life you were created to live and it ensures that God will be pleased with your life. When we tell the world about our Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Whether through words or deeds, we are not lying because we really have the right answers. If people would only try Jesus, then they too could know God and experience him, just like we do. But most people never try Jesus. They wander through life aimlessly, not even realizing that they are searching They are searching for meaning and relevance in the few years they have here on planet Earth. And the truth is, they genuinely need what we have. And what do we have? We have Jesus. People need Jesus. But there's a problem with the way our message has been delivered through the decades and the centuries We like to talk about relationship, but what people often see is not relationship. They see religion, and religion often turns people off, or it causes people to reject the real message that Jesus brought to us from his Father in heaven. I want to identify today what religion is or what it isn't. Because many people have been strangled by religion and some of us may be unwittingly hurting others by our religious posture. If a person has strong willpower and is able to comply with the rules and regulations of their religion, then that religion works. But if a person is bound in sin and they need a higher power to set them free then their religion condemns them and sentences them to try even harder. And so a cycle of trying and failing is perpetuated with the end result that religion is, in the end, rejected. Religion works only to the extent of a person's discipline and determination. Religion is limited to a person's ability to comply with its codes and regulations. Now, I'm I'm going to ask you to give me a little leeway here, because I'm going to tell you the truth about religion, and here it is. After saying that religion condemns those who need a stronger power to free them from sin, a better description is death by religion but don't under, don't misunderstand me i sincerely desire to commit myself 100% to my pursuit of god and my faith i desire to sincerely avoid temptation and sin but i'm also keenly aware that my best efforts will fall short. No matter how hard I try, I will always need a Savior who can rescue me from my sin and who can rescue me from my feeble attempts at fulfilling the requirements of religion. And that includes the requirements of whatever brand of Christianity you may find yourself connected to. Religion, regardless of the flavor separates us from the life of God. Religion limits us to what we can do and becomes based upon our own efforts. Now, I know that for some people, religion is a vehicle that leads them into a seemingly pleasant relationship with our Father in heaven. But it doesn't work well for most of us. For most of us, religion becomes an end unto itself. Do you know that Jesus called the most religious people in his day whitewashed tombs? Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. For me, when I was a young man, Religion limited my ability to come close to God. I was unable to comply with all the do's and don'ts. And if you are anything like me, you aren't strong enough and you aren't independent enough to understand or withstand all the pressure we experience in our world to comply, whether we're complying with the godless element of society or with the plural, pluralistic side of religion. Religion is okay for the committed doers. It's good for those who need the crutch of a religious system to lean upon. But religion never worked for me. I prefer the reality of being a follower of Jesus who taught me to have a passionate relationship to the Father. If you think about it, you'll realize that it's easier to manage your life within religion than it is to live within a relationship. Religion allows us to keep God at arm's length while we busy ourselves with religious activity. But God doesn't want to be kept at a distance. He wants to have a say in every aspect of your life. That's what a friend does. But this friend happens to be your creator who wants you to become more like his son Jesus whom he sent to this world to usher in a new way to be in a relationship with him. So let's step back in history to the time when the nation of Israel split into two independent nations. There was the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. That's right, the northern kingdom of Israel adopted the original name Israel. So you had the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. The united nation of Israel was split, only a small portion of the original nation remained loyal to Solomon's son, who continued to rule the southern kingdom of Judah. Meanwhile, Jeroboam, who had been an official in King Solomon's court, became the king of the larger northern country of Israel, the northern kingdom. The story is found in 1 Kings, chapters 11 and 12. Now, there are two standards in the Old Testament that all future Old Testament kings of the, new, of the two nations were measured against. The good standard was King David. He was the father of King Solomon. King David was the righteous standard by which every other king was measured. But who was the other standard? The vile king who stood for anarchy. And rebellion. Which king was this? That would be King Jeroboam, the very first king of northern Israel, after the United Kingdom of Israel was split. King Jeroboam's actions were worse than the evil exploits of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. That's hard to believe. So that tells me his actions were really bad. Indeed, as one reads the account of the evil kings of the northern kingdom of Israel in the book of 1 Kings, one finds out that King Jeroboam was the measuring stick for evil used by God as a comparison. What did Jeroboam do that was so bad? What was his sin that so tarnished his legacy that when God judged future kings, he said, they did evil like Jeroboam. Jeroboam built shrines in high places and instituted the worship of golden calves and appointed priests to attend to all the religious places he had built. Yes, he instituted a religious system. And God hated what Jeroboam did. Jeroboam instituted a religious system that worshiped idols in place of the relationship God had wanted with his people. Jeroboam's decisions were based upon fear. That's what religion capitalizes on. And knowingly or unknowingly, he initialized an evil religious spirit into the northern kingdom of Israel. The high places he built became houses of idolatry, and every subsequent king was judged on how they responded to those houses of idolatry. Did they tear down the high places, or did they allow them to remain as a source of religious pollution in the land. I wonder if God will use that kind of a measuring stick against us as well. Do we tear down the high places of religion in our hearts, and families, and ministries, or do we allow religion to flourish. Okay, that sounds rather negative. (laughs) And I don't want you to leave unhappy after hearing my message. This has not been a feel-good message up to this point. So, I'm going to change gears. Instead of considering religion, which we're not supposed to be following, let's consider what we are supposed to be doing. Listen now to the words of Paul from his epistle to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. This whole verse is just eight words. The heart of the verse is only five words. Therefore, be imitators of God. Or perhaps you could just say four words. Be imitators of God. Upon first glance, it's just a simple text. Just four little words. Be imitators of God. But those Four little words carry a big command. Those four little words are not an invitation. It's a command. Paul said, in essence, you are commanded to imitate God. Okay, just how are we supposed to do that? How can anyone imitate God? How can we imitate or mimic divinity well Paul doesn't stop in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 he doesn't leave us to wrestle with that question in the very next verse he begins to provide us with the answer and walk in love so imitate God by walking in love is it really that simple Is that what we are to understand by the command, be imitators of God? In the Bible, the word walk often means to regulate your lifestyle. When Paul said walk in love, he meant that we are to regulate our lifestyle in such a way that every aspect of who we are reflects love. We are told to make who we are the very way we act and speak, in essence, We are to reflect God's love. Our ministry and the mission of the church, those who are called out to be followers of Jesus, should be summarized by one word, love. Without love, our efforts and ministries will be sterile and limp, seemingly lifeless. But where Christians create an atmosphere of love, their efforts and ministries will bear fruit that endures. Believers who genuinely demonstrate love contain more joy in their personal lives. They are more secure, and they are able to address a wide range of issues and still maintain the trust and loyalty of people who are around them, all while maintaining a positive testimony in the world. We are relational beings. God made us that way, and so you should expect that your primary search is not for doctrines or strategies for successful living. Rather, your primary search is to find, is to be loving. We are searching for acceptance We want to belong, and whenever a non-believer crosses the path of a believer, the non-believer should find love and acceptance in abundance. In our attempt to win the world for Christ, we should never underestimate the incredible power of love. When people outside of the church see Christians bearing one another's burdens, Christians who are quick to forgive, who do not judge and criticize, who quickly repent, when people see Christians asking for forgiveness and reaching out with loving arms, then they will feel comfortable, then they will feel accepted. When non-believers, people outside of the church, meet believers like that, then they will realize that Jesus makes a difference in a person's life. When we, as followers of Jesus, walk in love, then our message becomes compelling. Without real transparent love, There isn't much that we can say to influence another soul for Jesus. At best, we will disseminate some good information, and at worst, we will convey a cold and lifeless religion. Our Heavenly Father wants us to imitate Him right here in front of our little corner Of the world. You know what? It's easier to do that than you might think. It's so easy that even a child can do it. What was it Paul said in Ephesians 5 verse 1? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Even a child can do it. Only a person who is like a child can do it. Children say what they mean. They are transparent. They are real. It's safe to believe what a child says because they don't have ulterior motives. Likewise, it should be safe for people to believe what we say, what you say. And we should also be the safest people On the planet, for someone to bear their soul and confess their sins and find strength and healing and accountability. But sadly, that's not the case. Most believers do not exude safety and they don't act like they're doing fine, they don't act real. Most believers only pretend to be fine. Most believers trudge through life with the same complaints as their non-believing neighbors. It's no wonder that we don't facilitate an atmosphere of safety for someone who's hurting. Every person who crosses our paths should see a passionate person who loves Jesus and is doing their best to overcome sin and become more like Jesus. We should be transparent like a child, be imitators of God as beloved children. Another thing about a child is that they want to be loved A beloved child is secure in a father's love. It's not a question. It's for sure. There's no doubt in the mind of a child that they have a loving father. And that's what we have from our heavenly father. And that's something that the world desperately needs to experience but we can't show the world if we don't know deep down inside that God loves us that we too are a beloved child when your relationship with your father in heaven is right then the overflow of his love will spill into the world around you that's the way it works does your relationship with your Heavenly Father overflow to the world around you? Mine doesn't overflow enough, but I know that my love is growing. I need more love, and I need to understand a deeper revelation of God's love for me so that I can love others the same way Jesus and his Father loves me. So I'll finish this message by reading a portion of Scripture from the Apostle John. These particular words that I'm going to read are words that Jesus spoke Words he taught his followers about love. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another amen hallelujah god bless you all put
0: your hand in the hand of the man who still love.